0: Tonight is a form of apartheid making a comeback. No, not in South Africa, but right here in Canada. It's Friday, August 19th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. you for freedom. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I experienced a life-changing event on February the 13th, 1988, even though I didn't even realize it at the time. The venue was the now-defunct Bally Matrix Gym in North Toronto. After a brutal workout, I went downstairs to relax in the gym's hot tub. Well, let me tell you, folks, more than the water was hot in the tub that day, directly across from me and just a mere 24 hours before St. Valentine's Day, no less was the bikini clad woman who would go on to become the future Lady Menzoid. Of course, me being an unobservant doofus, I was completely oblivious to any kind of love connection occurring. As for Lauren, well, after that brief encounter lasting all of 15 minutes punctuated with banal small talk, she returned back home to inform her mother that she had just met the man she was going to marry. And talk about woman's intuition some 34 years later, we're still together. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, this meeting would never have occurred if it were not for an odious political system that was in place some half a world away. You see, Lady Menzoid originally hails from South Africa back in the dark old days when this nation was governed by the appallingly racist system known as apartheid. Under apartheid, rights of citizens were based on skin color. Caucasians, who made up the country's smallest minority, well, they were at the top of the totem pole and enjoyed all rights and privileges. Then there were the so-called colored people, whose rights were somewhat abridged. The most disenfranchised, of course, were black people, who also happened to make up the vast majority of the population and resided in this country long before any white man had set foot upon South Africa. You know, when you look back at apartheid, the system is so absurd, so preposterous, that it's almost hard to believe that it ever actually existed in the first place. It's akin to Jerry Seinfeld's brilliant take on professional wrestling. Who thought up professional wrestling? I mean, if, you, if there was no professional wrestling, Do you think you could come up with this idea? They go, wait, I have a tremendous idea. Why don't we have huge guys in bathing suits pretend to fight? In any event, Lauren's family was extremely well off living in Johannesburg. They lived in a well-appointed home complete with both pool and maid. Her father operated a highly successful business and South Africa itself, it's a beautiful country. And yet for those with a conscience, it was becoming increasingly difficult to live in the South Africa of yesterdecade, it was becoming impossible to ignore the apartheid elephant in the room. Indeed, globally, South Africa was deemed to be a pariah, thanks to its racist and unjust political system. Beginning in the 1960s, the nation was rightfully banned from competing in international sporting events, ranging from the World Cup of Soccer to the Olympic Games. South Africa was also the original target of the boycott, divest and sanction movement, which certainly caused the nation enormous economic harm and definitely accelerated the movement for political reform. As a side note, how perverse is it that when one now speaks of the boycott, divest and sanction movement of today, the BDS adherents target Israel? you know the most vibrant democracy in the entire Middle East? <laughs> Welcome to bizarro world, folks. Yet South Africa was truly a deserving target of BDS and sporting bans and demonstrations the world over. And by 1977, my future wife's family had had enough. They gave up their comfortable lifestyle and moved to North America to start all over again from scratch. Incidentally, the choice for a future home was narrowed down to either Toronto or Los Angeles. They visited Toronto first in the month of July and discovered to their shock that, hey, the weather in Hogtown was hotter and more humid than the weather back in Joburg. So they dropped anchor without ever bothering to check out LA. And needless to say, my wife's family endured a climatic shock to the system once the gales of November came early. So why am I telling you all this background stuff? Well, it's because my spouse said something the other day that really stuck with me. She said that it seems that in our not so wondrous woke world of 2022, apartheid is making a comeback. No, not in South Africa, mind you, where it was eradicated in the early 90s. No, a form of apartheid light, if you will, is being embraced in so many Western democracies due to political correctness and wokeism and, yes, Marxism. And the target of this new apartheid is not people of color, but rather white people. Indeed, it has become increasingly trendy in some circles to demonize and vilify white folk. The due buzzwords range from white privilege to white supremacy. And hardly a day goes by when there isn't some story in the popular press disparaging Caucasians. Why, just the other day, I came across a fascinating story in Post Media headlined, quote, University offering course called Angry White Male Studies, end quote. The story begins, quote, The University of Kansas wants to look into the rise of the angry white male in the United States and the United Kingdom, according to reports. This course charts the rise of the angry white male in America and Britain since the 1950s, exploring the deeper sources of this emotional state while evaluating recent manifestations of male anger. The course will be taught by Christopher Forth. Who is a professor of history serving in the departments of women gender and sexuality studies and american studies fourth will seek to teach where does the angry white male come from what's he angry about is his anger misplaced is he blaming the right people how long has this been going on is he a global phenomenon and how do we move forward end quote. Oh, thank God a gender studies guru has found some new propaganda to peddle. But seriously, do white males have a monopoly on anger? Even if one is a hardcore leftist, does anyone really believe there are any valid statistics behind the premise that since the 1950s, white males are becoming increasingly upset? I mean, how would you even scientifically track such a phenomenon in the first place? Or maybe this nutty professor at the U of K is basing his perverse premise on pop culture. After all, the course description features a photo of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. Maybe Professor For's source material is, oh, I don't know, the internet movie database. If that's the case well yeah i have to admit there is indeed plenty of fodder when it comes to angry white males for starters take it away dr banner Thomas, yeah
1: you make me angry oh am i
0: Judges, can we have a ruling here? Namely, folks, if a white man turns into a green man due to his anger issues, is he truly 100% Caucasian? Next up, how about that grumpy white music teacher who completely lost it with Jerry Lewis in the Patsy?
2: Diaphragmatic breathing with greater volume from the chest, like this.
0: yeah folks that's me at the local coffee shop whenever they screw up my order and lest we forget the michael douglas rant in falling down after he deemed he was being ripped off at a convenience store package
3: of six how much dollar 12. too much aspirin price 3.40
0: One final clip, this time from the superb SCTV, in which angry white maleness is actually monetized. Here, check out Rent-A-Retort. At Rent-A-Retort, we provide you with professionals who win your next argument with the speed and control of a highly trained specialist. What
3: are you doing in my living room?
0: You ugly stab! How dare you come down on this man, this saint, this man who happens to be good with figures, but a man who has provided for you and given you life, and you just sit around the house, you fat, ugly cow! Now, call me a racist if you must, but I could use a guy like that sometimes, especially when covering leftist protests. But undeniably, there's a growing acceptance that being anti-white is good, not bad. Do you recall our interview last month with McMaster University student Tyler Henderson? Check this out. So tell me, Tyler, your professor had an issue with you because you are a white male. Why would that be? So uh, at the start of the semester, they, they did the uh, uh, preamble regarding safe space. And after the class, I, I stayed ba- behind uh to talk to the professor about it and uh, that's when she said that um, she was she didn't want white men to participate in her class um, she went on to describe to me as to why it was because of it being a safe space for other people and um, how if someone like me shares that it would no longer be a safe space fascinating so a white male student speaking in a classroom turns the classroom into an unsafe space, as if the classroom is now afflicted by a downed electrical wire or the presence of a rabid pit bull? Really? It's incredible how an institution such as McMaster University states that it is committed to promoting diversity on one hand, while on the other hand, allows a professor to embrace selective racism and sexism. But then again, today's woke folk have actually changed the definition of racism, which is to say, folks, did you know that according to the progressive left, white people cannot be victims of racism? I kid you not. Check out this delightful demonstrator and what she had to say when we covered the Dufferin Grove Park occupation, back in the summer of 2020. And I'm extremely angry at the people who show up like you who like to instigate people and make people literally relive their traumas by asking
1: them hateful questions. What
0: trauma are these people reliving?
1: Intergenerational trauma from white folk like you who walk around. At- that sounds racist. Really, it's not racist. You can't be racist. A per- white person, a white person cannot
0: experience racism. They can't? Only people who can experience racism, are those affected by racism. Oh, Juliet, Juliet, wherefore art thou? But hey, Apartheid Light is even being embraced by the federal government these days. Check out this tweet from Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino just a few days ago. Quote, online hate and harassment, particularly targeting female, racialized, and Indigenous journalists, is blatantly unacceptable. This alarming trend has intensified recently and threatens both the safety of those involved and the overall role and independence of the media." So what Pinocchio, with a portfolio, is saying here is that virtual hate and harassment against journalists is bad, but it's really, really, especially bad when it happens to anyone who is not a white male journalist. Really? Really, Marco? Why? And where did this compulsive liar pluck his data from? Remember, this is the same minister who repeatedly said law enforcement asked the government to invoke the Emergencies Act back in February, which is a lie. This is the same minister who said recent improvements to the ArriveCan Can app has reduced wait times at Montreal Trudeau Airport by as much as one-third, which is a lie. And another thing, where was this lying liar when his blackface-loving boss sicked the Royal Canadian Mounted Henchman on yours truly last December for what exactly? Oh yeah, practicing journalism on a public sidewalk. Hey, this is assault. Ooh. I'm on assault. Ooh. Ooh. I want a sidewalk. I am on a sidewalk. What is this? You cannot crush me! No crushing work. I- Are you kidding? Are you kidding? I told you. What is this? You can't am I under arrest? Am I under arrest? Am I under arrest, because otherwise you have no right. Oh, well played, Mr. Trudeau. I think Fidel Castro, your dearly departed friend, and perhaps something more than a friend, would have been proud of that Banana Republic shakedown in Hogtown. But again, where was the condemnation from Mr. Mendicino for that old school physical beatdown? Jimmy Cricket? Why is Pinocchio so silent all of a sudden? Was it due to my race? Or my sex? Or my ideology? Or just maybe all of the above? What an absolute disgrace this man is. But I'll tell you who is really rolling over in his grave right now regarding the perversity on display when it comes to so-called acceptable racism and sexism. And it's not some bitter, old, angry white man, but rather a brilliant black scholar. I speak of Martin Luther King Jr. who almost 60 years ago gave his most famous speech in Washington, D.C. I have a dream. (laughs) My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Yeah, can you imagine that, folks? judging people by the content of their character. Bottom line, Dr. King had it right more than a half century ago in dreaming of a colorblind society. But today's so-called progressive leftists and Marxists, well, they subscribe to a different mantra, that being, two wrongs make a right. These radicals are playing a despicable and downright dangerous game when it comes to embracing acceptable forms of racism and sexism. And they are dividing society as they do so. Well, folks, recently a Canadian Forces veteran was seeking treatment for a post-traumatic stress disorder and a traumatic brain injury. And what happened? Well, shockingly, an employee with Veterans Affairs Canada, nonchalantly asked the veteran if he had considered committing suicide. Wow, it makes you really wonder what the biggest danger zone is for our brave soldiers these days. Is it some foreign battlefield? Or is it the local Veterans Affairs Canada office? Unbelievable. And joining me now for more on this truly disturbing story is Mark Meinke, a veteran himself and the host of the podcast Operation Tango Romeo, which is also known as the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey there, Mark. Welcome to the Ezra levant Show. Thanks for having me on today, David. It is a pleasure. So, Mark, this story sounds like a very bad joke, albeit one without a punchline. A veteran seeks help for various trauma that he has endured. And right away, the Veterans Affairs rep points to the nuclear option, i.e. suggesting that he consider assisted suicide. What were your initial thoughts when you heard about this story?
1: Well, the veteran community, like all other communities, have diverse opinion, but they're pretty united on this one. Shock and dismay, although the responses that I, because I'm a central point in the veteran community, so I I get all the the crosswinds, they come right here. And we have people that uh, had trouble believing it at first, uh, from people that weren't shocked at all because of their own personal uh, experiences with Veterans Affairs, and I, and I have to say, no, David, Veterans Affairs does help people. Uh, they've helped me, they've helped so many others, but that doesn't mean there's not uh, Big gaps, <laughs> And this is certainly, to say the least, a big gap.
0: No, and suicide is a serious thing, I understand, with veterans, uh, Mark. I mean, uh, I understand the figures. Twelve Canadian Forces members died by suicide last year. Between 2015 and 2019, 69 others died via suicide. So this is, you know, not some, like, bizarre anomaly. Members of the armed forces, for whatever reason, are taking their own lives. Why do you think this Veterans Affairs Canada representative suggested suicide to begin with? Well,
1: we got a couple of different possibilities here, right? Either this person was working as a one-off, as a Dr. Mm Mengele, and is just absolutely out of their mind, or this is somewhere part of the brief, because March next year, you, you feeling a little blue, we'll kill you. That's how it's gonna be. It's, uh, there's gonna be very little barrier to entry for the MAID program. Uh, right now, mental health is not included with the MAID program, but from what I'm getting from the insider information that I'm receiving, especially since the story has broke, this does not appear to be an isolated incident. Veterans Affairs Canada right now is parading as if it is an isolated incident, which of course we all hope for, We just hope this is uh, some crazy person that was having a strange day that offered this to this veteran. But I don't know if that's the truth. I I hope it's the truth. But I am getting more and more notes from people, (laughs) more direct messages and emails suggesting that that is not the case, including just um, yesterday somebody came to me and they are of the belief that they are approved for the MAID program because of mental health.
0: Well, you know, and and Mark, this is indeed a key question. Um, Was this Veterans Affairs Canada representative, was it a uh, lone wolf, if you will, somebody that went off the reservation and suggested uh, this terrible option, or is this somehow matter of policy? I I can tell you uh, uh, Veterans Affairs Canada did um, issue a statement about this, and it reads, quote, Veterans Affairs Canada uh, deeply regrets what transpired, and quote. And also, quote, appropriate administrative action will be taken, end quote. But they did not discuss the nitty gritty of what that means. What do you think it means based on your previous dealings with Veterans Affairs Canada?
1: Well, there was some other wording there that wasn't included as well. Some questions that haven't been answered. They haven't answered. Has anybody else done this? Um, what was the reason? Was this a staff meeting gone wrong? So we we don't know the scope of this yet. And I'm, again, I'm hoping and praying that this is a one-off and that Veterans Affairs would never promote this. But what's shocking right now, David, is that In the social media realm, there are lots of people that are actually promoting this, that think it's actually a good idea to offer the MAID program for people that don't have any other options. And one of the super sad things about this is that the current help that is offered by the osi clinics osis and well not osis but the osi clinics and veterans affairs canada has an efficacy rate that ranges between 12 and 16 percent so if you're outside that 12 to 16 percent and you don't know about any other options that are out there it is understandable that somebody out of desperation is going to consider suicide. But there are other options out there. The issue is barrier to entry to access those options that are have a far higher efficacy rate of 12 to 16%. I've seen numerous modalities of healing that are past 80%. But Veterans Affairs Canada won't touch them with a 10-foot pole, and that is the problem.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. You know, Mark, it's almost, I mean, I've mentioned this before, that, you know, I look at the 1973 sci-fi film Soylent Green, which is set in 2022, and how eerily prescient it has been on so many points, such as food replacement. Um, Right now, you have people uh, with the World Economic Forum suggesting we eat bugs, Soylent Green is the name of a food replacement. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. It makes bugs look like uh, uh, T-bone steaks. And also suicide is actively encouraged. Uh, You're bribed with uh, benefits for your family members if you decide to opt out. And uh, I I just can't help but think, um, you know, how bang on that sci-fi film was for our Horrible reality right now. But then again, when it comes to Veterans Affairs, Mark, I got to ask you we've seen with this Trudeau administration how they deal with veterans, um, whereas they give Omar Qatar, our homegrown Al Qaeda terrorist and murderer, a $10.5 million paycheck. Uh, The following year, they told a friend of yours at Edmonton that uh, military veterans serving Canada are asking for too much. Those were Prime Minister Trudeau's words. So I, I, I guess when I'm connecting the dots here, if our veterans are asking for too much, well, what better way than to, you know, turn off the whining, if you will, than to advocate they take an exit? I find this disturbing and egregious and outrageous. What are your thoughts, my friend?
1: Well, David, let's just hope that what is happening here is ineptitude. That's mm-hmm. the best case scenario. This is just, they don't know what else to offer, so they're offering assisted suicide. They don't know about all the therapies that I know about, that I highlight on my show on a weekly basis. Um, they, They just don't know. They don't know about it or don't have access to it or there's some other barrier. Let's hope it's just ineptitude. However, the general, what I'm gleaning from all the response in the veteran population is that we're a little bit more cynical. We do believe that it's a budgetary decision I had a little rant on Facebook saying the same thing. Um, I never would have said that two or three years ago. Uh, No chance. I I would have thought there's got to be another explanation. But it could be that cold, David. It could be that this is, in fact, a budgetary decision wrapped up as compassion.
0: That is just so disturbing for me to hear, Mark, because we are talking literally about life and death to people who in many cases, have put their lives on the line defending Canada, going into foreign battlefields. And uh, once their usefulness uh, is over, as deemed by the federal government, it's time to suggest that they take the ultimate step in checking out. I mean, I can't even believe we're talking about this. Uh, Mark, the soldier... Um, in question, he has not been identified. There's been some mainstream media coverage of this. Um, have, w- do you think this individual uh, will go public uh, with his plight so that we do indeed have a name and a face behind this story?
1: Well, I hope so. I think that in general, the story has been believed by most people, which is a good thing because it's true. Um uh, that, I, that much I can say, I can't say more than that, but I can confirm that the story is completely true. Um, the sources that I have are the same sources that uh, Mercedes-Stevenson had for Global, and those sources have confirmed through us that it is absolutely true. Other than that, I can't say. I'm going to hope that this veteran steps forward, but I completely and totally understand, uh, given our government's reputation and track record of being vindictive and cruel uh i could understand why somebody would not want to have their name put forward so if this person does not put their name forward perfectly perfectly understandable and um but i don't think we need it i think through freedom of information act through proper investigation we can get all the questions answered that we need and i have a sneaking suspicion david that there's going to be more people stepping forward with similar circumstances uh, similar stories i don't think this is a one-off
0: well we're certainly going to continue to follow this uh story mark and you know you're right it is a true story for once i wish this was fake news but it's not i guess my parting question to you mark Given the horrible public relations black eye Veterans Affairs Canada has received over this, do you think that might be a catalyst? In other words, reaching out to their staff and saying, you know, if a veteran comes, you know, for a consultation, um, maybe you might not want to whip out the suicide option right off the bat, even if we do have budgetary issues with the Canadian Armed Forces. Last word goes to you, my friend.
1: Thanks, brother. So the problem with Veterans Affairs Canada is that they are working in a trauma-rich environment without the proper resiliency and uh, critical incident training. So they are dealing with people like myself when they are at their most acute, when they need it the most, when they need the help the most. And we're not a lot of fun to deal with. So if you do not understand our language, if you don't understand trauma, if you don't understand trauma response, and yet you're thrown to the wolves into this job, you're gonna burn out. Almost all of us uh, that have been in the system, as I have been, are going on three, four, five different case managers in in two or three years. Mm. So it's a high, high burnout position. Now, when you have a high burnout position, nobody has any experience at Veterans Affairs Canada because they don't last long enough to get the experience. So this is a failure of leadership at VAC, uh, VAC, Veterans Affairs Canada. What needs to happen is proper training so that they can hang on to these employees, train them better so that their interactions with the veteran community are more positive. Because this is, although it is the most egregious example that I can think of, of a interaction with Veterans Affairs, it is not the only foul one. Um, and not just at VAC, at the OSI clinic, numerous places, all that are good-hearted and want to do the right thing, but they don't necessarily have the tools to do the right thing.
0: And Mark, before I let you go, can you tell our audience about your podcast? Because I got to be honest, if I knew a veteran that was suffering from any kind of trauma, I would point him in your direction (laughs) before uh, having him go to Veterans Affairs Canada, especially with staffers like this one, uh, suggesting right off the hop, uh, the suicide option is the right one. So please, please. What do you do with your podcast?
1: Operation Tango Romeo is the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are an aggregate for healing modality. So I go around the world, David, and I find what works, what doesn't. And I get the facilitators, the people with the lived experience, to come on the show, and we talk about what works. And we also have peer support type of tools and i hate to call them tricks but tools for the toolbox that help people move forward with their life uh, episode number six so many ago i still get uh, notes from people saying hey that episode on how not to wreck, wreck your camping trip has actually changed my life and has changed my family's life thank you very much and when you hear a voice that you recognize, somebody that you know is walk the walk, not some sterile clinician uh, talking in uh, in baby talk to you then you have a bit more confidence that the information that you're being exposed to just might be helpful. Somebody that's actually walked the walk themselves. I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2017. I got into peer support groups which create a sense of connection and awareness. And from those peer support groups, this podcast has grown, evolved. And today we're in 68 different countries, 200 and I don't even know, 236 episodes, I think and thousands and thousands of veterans have messaged me saying, thank you, this helped.
0: Well, thank goodness for that, Mark. I know you do excellent work with your podcast and I wish the same could be said about how Veterans Affairs Canada operates. So thank you again for your time and we'll keep an eye on this file too, Mark, and see if it warrants a follow-up in the days and weeks ahead. Thank you, sir. Thank you, David. Folks, last night my colleague Sheila gunn Reid was guest hosting for the Ezreal event show and she had a wonderful interview with our New York-based correspondent, that would be Jeremy Lafredo, who ventured down to Pennsylvania to speak to Amish farmers who are being harassed by the government. Lots of response on that. Keith007 writes, The average American is both overfed and malnourished, And the government is attacking the Amish. So Amish steak and cheese, that's the problem, not Taco Bell, Doritos, and Big Gulp slushies. Insane. Well, 007, don't give the government any ideas. They've already talked about uh, taxing and regulating junk food. But I get your point. Leave the Amish alone. They just want to live their lives the way they want to. They're not harming anyone. This is a so-called problem in need of repair when no problem exists and no repair is warranted. C130Avi8TRX writes, Sounds like in Australia where they are trying to make it illegal to share any meat you've hunted with even family or friends, plus making it illegal to grow your own veggies? They really want us all to submit or dry. Well, you know what, my friend? I didn't know that was the situation in Australia. That is outrageous. They don't want you to share hunted um, meat. They don't want you to grow your own vegetables. And yet these are probably, let me guess, the same people that want you to chow down on cricket sandwiches and mealworms. No thanks. Well, I can tell you this. What the government's going to find out in terms of bullying the Amish is that when you mess with the farming community, that is a losing fight. They are not going to come out of this as the winner. You mark my words, folks. Well, that wraps up the Ezra event show uh, for this Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you all have a great weekend. The big boss man, he'll be back here on Monday. And in the meantime, as always, stay sane.
3: Have you many for Rebel News at the Shrine of Remembrance here in Melbourne on Vietnam Veterans Day? The elderly Vietnam veterans lined up in the hundreds, ready to march at 11 am sharp per the schedule. But as the Air Force band prepared to lead the Australian heroes, a regimental Sergeant Major approached the band Sergeant Major, ordering the band to stand down as Daniel Andrews hadn't arrived, leaving hundreds of veterans standing, waiting in the cold. Because the Premier, His Highness, was running late. About five minutes later, the sacred event finally kicked off following the grand entrance of Victoria's arrogant Premier, leaving some veterans dumped.
2: Roughly a three-hour trip. I left home about half past five this morning. So you made it on time? I made it on time. <laughs> so where does Daniel Andrews come from?
3: No, five no. minutes
2: down the road? Yeah. Do
3: you think that that's respectful to those who have come out here today?
2: Oh, probably not. For me, that's not good enough. We've been here quite a lot earlier this morning to make sure that we were on time. OK, he's got a job to do, uh, we've all got a job to do.
3: I think many Australians would think, would, uh, Victorians would agree you've sacrificed a lot more than Daniel Andrews.
2: And I would say it's fair to say that a lot of us are still in that situation. A lot of what happened a very long time ago stays with us and it, ne- it will never go away. I think we went there for the right
3: cause, for what we believe in and to help the uh, South Vietnamese out. Which are really good people. They are really good people. And today, I saw the march was delayed about five minutes. Do you know why? No, no idea. Daniel Andrews was running late. No. How do you feel? Normal. <laughs>
2: For those who don't know, this is actually acknowledging um, six RAs battle at the battle of Long Tan. Uh, so we pay our respects to them. Oh, I just remember that there was 500 people killed on in a little battle than 50 years ago, I suppose. It was politically big at the time, but now it's just a bit of history. I look upon this way. I'm down here to be with my friends, guys that I serve with. So out of my respect for them and the other guys that serve and the people that turn up, put this show on, yeah, you turn up on time. It's never too late to learn a little bit of respect for anybody, not just us, but for anybody.
3: There you go, Daniel Andrews front and centre. The memorial can continue.
2: Difficult to talk about, and uh, I just want to here remember me mate who didn't come back, and, the, and a few of them.
3: How you doing? Yeah. How you going? You all right? Mate, hey, have respect. You're at the shrine. Yeah, I respect that. So you probably shouldn't act like that. I get you don't like me. What don't you like about me? Who you...
1: stirs hate? I still hate... What are you
3: doing here? I'm a journalist. I still hate. You're standing here sticking your finger up at people. Oh,
1: alright. Maybe I'm a hypocrite.
3: Do you want to talk about it a bit? No, I
2: don't know why you're
3: here. Why wouldn't I be here? I, I like our heroes. I support our heroes. They fought for your freedom. Do you like freedom?
1: You don't know the meaning of
3: freedom. Can you educate me? Right? I find fans everywhere.
2: It'd be 52, yeah. 52 years Still ago. Still mates? Of course.
3: I don't have a mate from 10 years ago. No one likes me after...
2: A... <laughs> I'm sure, there's, that, I'm sure there's somebody that, in the Israeli army that... Uh, yeah, that, that has fond memories of my, of my... Of my <laughs> banter. And I, a friend of mine, when he was very young, his parents sent him to Israel on a kibbutz. Oh, yeah. And uh, his, his mother, actually, I could say, she was... Uh, Possessed the tattoo on yeah, the yeah, wrist, yeah. Uh, which we all know what that yeah. meant. And yeah. um, but they were lovely people. That they once again, having even though they, he was born and brought up in Australia. They felt that it was important for him to recognise. Same, same yes, and and I respect that.